Amen. Hey, a few years back, there was a Boston consultant who was working with some uh, recently uh, graduated college students, and he, he wanted to have a talk with these college students that, that were getting ready to take on the world. And he took them back, and he started out that talk with a question. He said, guys, there is one word that is used to describe the workforce of this emerging generation, and it begins with an E. Can you tell me what that word is? And, of course, these recently graduated college students, they were like, energetic, enthusiastic, exceptional, excellent. And he said, no, the number one most commonly word used to describe this generation is entitled. We have created not just a generation, but a culture of entitled people. Come on. Listen, if you amen, it makes people think I'm not talking about you. Um, I'm talking about a culture. We've raised a culture that feels like they're owed everything. They deserve everything. Whether they work for it or not, they deserve it. Come on. Uh, and we have to ask ourselves, how did we get here? One study that I looked at basically gave two reasons, two ways we got here. The first one was this, said we rescue too quickly. Many kids get into trouble, we bail them out. Kids get into trouble, we bail them out. Experts say that's, that's, it's one thing to do that once or twice. But when you do it over and over and over again, what happens in the process of that is the child learns there are no real consequences for their actions. Come on. They get in trouble at school. Principal calls you, and you're like, oh, that doesn't sound like little Johnny. They would never say or do that. Let me tell you. Now, I know I'm from a different generation, but let me tell you what would happen if my dad ever got a call from the principal's office about me. Dad would say, Kelly did what? Sounds like him. Um, tell you what, you bust his tail and tell him when he gets home, I'm going to do it again. You know what I learned? There are consequences to my actions. Now, I'm not saying that's the answer to it all, but I am saying this. When I grew up, I learned I can't talk to a teacher any way that I want to talk to a teacher or act any way I want without consequences. I'm bring back the paddle. Bring back the paddle. I mean, they'd take us outside with a paddle in the hallway, and you'd get a paddling, an actual physical Paddling. And I learned a lot through those many times that I was up there. <laughs> we weren't rescued easy, uh, quickly. Uh, but now because we've rescued whenever there's trouble, they've learned there really are no consequences to their action. Another report said this, by protecting the future generation from the natural consequences of bad decisions, we've actually handicapped them. The second, they said, is, is this, we reward too often. In other words, we give them something that they never earned or worked for. Anybody remember a time when you actually had to win at something to get a trophy? 
You didn't get participation trophies. Because I'll tell you, if we did, if we got those back, I'm not saying this is right or wrong. It's probably wrong. But if, if they had given out participation trophies, those that won the trophies would have been like, that ain't real. The truth is you suck and you need to get better. The only way we got a trophy is if we came in first, second, or third place. And you earned it. But we give our kids things. And listen, I am preaching to myself this morning. But we give our kids things they don't really earn or or honestly sometimes don't deserve. We'll buy them a $150 pair of tennis shoes. Why? Because everybody has them and we don't want them to feel bad at school. We'll get them those $80, $100 pair of jeans. That dress, that cell phone, because we need to stay in touch with them. I get that. But you can stay in touch with a flip phone, not a $1,000 iPhone. I figure I'd get more amens out of the parents than that. These kids, never mind, let's move on. Here's the thing, I could go on. The thing is we give them things they never worked for, never did chores at home for, never got a school uh, after-school job. And, and listen, I did it too. I gave my kids things they didn't earn, things they didn't work for. But I think we've done them more harm than good. Because what it done is make them believe that everything in life comes easy. And if it doesn't come easy, well, let me move on to the next. Because I don't want to have to work for it. I don't want to have to earn it. And here's what we've essentially done. Instead of creating a culture that will sustain a kid through life, we've created a culture, uh, a kid that, uh, that has gratitude, and they're thankful. We've created a culture that makes them believe life is all about their happiness. And we're the same way. We want to be happy. So we're going to do anything we can to give that child what they, can, what they think is going to make them happy in that moment. And they get what they thought would make them happy. And it does for a bit, but then the happiness well runs dry. So again, we do whatever now, again, to give them whatever they think is going to ha- make them happy right now. In the words of Cheryl Crow, if it makes you happy, it can't be that bad. Anybody remember that? But Cheryl Crow followed that up with the reality if it makes you, ha- makes you happy, then why the hell are you so sad? In other words, you thought it would make you happy, then why do you live so unfulfilled? And this boils over into other areas of our lives. Marriages, we, we, we grow up with this philosophy. We make these promises before God and others for better or for worse, as long as we both shall live, as long as they make us happy. Because the moment they don't make us happy, I'm on to whatever else or next I think will make me happy. Why? Because God wants me happy. I mean, after all, doesn't God say be happy as I am happy? I believe it's be holy as I am holy. I heard one writer say, he said, maybe God didn't create marriage to make people happy but to make us holy. But this is the message that gets put out there on a daily, constant basis. I want, 
I deserve what I think will make me happy. We see it everywhere from TV shows to commercials, social media, all telling us we deserve this. We're entitled for better, more, better car, better house, better car or uh, phone, better computer, and all in the name of what makes us happy. But it's nothing new. In fact, in Ecclesiastes, we hear one of the richest or the richest man to ever live. And the Bible says the wisest man. We hear him say this in Ecclesiastes 2, 10 through 11. I denied myself nothing my eyes desired. I refused my heart no pleasure. Does that sound like the world we're living in? Whatever my eyes want, whatever my heart says get, hey, the heart wants what the heart wants. Well, let me tell you, that's a terrible uh, thermometer because the Bible also says the heart is evil above all things. So don't trust your heart. Oh, it's going to be a tough one today. Let's move on. My heart took delight in all my labor, and this was the reward for all my toil. Verse 11, when I surveyed all that my hands had done and what I toiled to achieve, everything was meaningless. A chasing after the wind. Nothing was gained under the sun. Now jump down to verse 17. So I came to hate life because everything done here under the sun is so troubling. Everything is meaningless, like chasing the wind. Solomon says, at the end of the day, I came to hate life. I look back on everything I thought would make me happy. All, everything I thought would satisfy me, all the things I worked for, all the things I was living for, and it turned out they were meaningless. But we do that, guys. We go through life giving ourselves anything we desire or want or at least what we can afford. And at the end of the day, we're left feeling, and that was meaningless. I believe there are those here today that as we close in on the end of 2023, I know it's hard to believe. You've tried a lot of things thinking it would bring the satisfaction or fulfillment of your life. You got that new car, new truck, that new boat. You moved to a different house, a different church, a different place, a different state. You got that new job, vacation, different relationship. You got out of the house. But as you look back, you're thinking, man, I thought there would be more. This is not what I expected 2023 to end on. I thought there'd be more in my life. And we got to remember the guy that wrote the, the Ecclesiastes there, Solomon, had anything, everything he could possibly want. We would say he was living the rock star life. I mean, he had the relationships, many of them. He had the money, the fame. And he looks back and says, I gave my, myself everything I wanted, but when I look back, all that I thought would satisfy me, bring me happiness, fulfill me, is meaningless. Why? Because everything I was doing was for under the sun, in the moment, for right now, for what could bring me happiness right now. I think there are three things, if you're taking notes, we can learn from Solomon here. Three mindsets or three things that, that come out of his mouth that come out of our mouth. First one is this, I'm frustrated. 
Now, listen, I'm not talking about frustration every now and then because we all get frustrated. If, especially if you got kids, teenage, you're going to get frustrated. But I'm talking about when you live your life with a sense of frustration. You go to work, you're frustrated. You go home, you're frustrated. You go to the store, you're frustrated. You come to church, you're frustrated. And the sad thing is, a lot of times that frustration, you know how it manifests itself? Anger. Anger. And we throw all that frustration out on those we love that are closest to us. In anger. I mean, you ever found yourself thinking, I don't know why I'm so angry. I don't know why I'm this mad all the time. And you're frustrated. Look, look, look at what Solomon said. Tell me what Solomon said doesn't sound like frustration. Ecclesiastes 1, verse 2. Everything's meaningless. Completely meaningless. What do people get for all their work under the sun? Generations come, generations go. But the earth or things never change. Hey, you spend your life working, but then what do you have to show for it at the end of the day? My life stays the same. It seems like nothing is different. I, I put in all this work, put in all this effort. I'm frustrated. Come on, can anybody relate? The second one really hit me because I'm so guilty of this. I'm tired. Anybody ever say that? I'm tired. One study I read said that three out of five Americans feel more tired now than they ever have before. In fact, Business Weekly declared that we are the decade of fatigue. We're physically tired, emotionally tired, spiritually tired, and it's become a normal part of our conversation when someone says, hey, how you doing? I'm tired. I man, I'm I'm telling you, I was so guilty of this at one point in my life. In fact, well, just probably a year or so ago. Every time I said, "Man, I'm just tired. I'm just tired." I caught myself, and I had to get intentional with Kelly. Quit saying that. Quit saying that. That's all you say. I had to get. But look what Solomon said, Ecclesiastes one five through seven. The sun rises, sun sets, hurries around to rise again. The wind blows south, then it blows north. Around and around it goes, blowing in circles. Rivers run into the sea, but the sea is never full. Then the water returns again to the rivers and flows out again to the sea. Let me give you that in the uh, PKV, the Pastor Kelly version. I get up, go to work Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. Mow the yard on Saturday, go to church on Sunday. I get up, go to work Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. Mow the yard or do some of my honeydew list, and then I get up and go to church on Sunday, and it's over, and it's over, and it's over, and it seems like nothing is different, nothing is changing, and I'm just tired. Third one, and this is a big one. You may not say this out loud, but you may have thought it. I'm unfulfilled. What I thought was going to fulfill me is not. Look at verse 8, chapter 1. Solomon says, everything is wearisome beyond description. No no matter how much we see, we are never satisfied. No matter how much we hear, we are never content. I just feel unfulfilled. What I thought would bring me satisfaction, what I thought would make things feel meaningful, it's not what it is. There's a great story um, in the Bible that talks about this. 
Uh, we, we've, we, I've preached from this many times. Uh, I went down to Decatur First Baptist a few weeks ago and, and, and heard Brent, and Brent actually preached from this. But it's the prodigal son. And, and, and the prodigal son uh, in the story, uh, we focus a lot on the younger son. But I think we can learn something from both sons if we look at them. Here was the youngest son's ungrateful mindset. I want it now. Queen sang it. I want it all. I want it all. I want it all. And I want it. Don't act like y'all don't know that song. I want to listen to it when I'm not at church. Uh, this was the younger son mentality. Look at it. Luke 15, 11 and 12. Man had two sons. The younger son told his father, I want my share of your estate now before you die. I mean, when do you normally get your, your inheritance? Come on, church. Come on, 11 a.m. When do you normally get it? After they're dead. After they're dead. And he says, I don't want to wait for you to die. I want it right now. Now, if you were to ask our kids ever came to us, said, hey, mom and dad, I don't want to wait for you to die. I want my inheritance now. I said, well, here are the bills. Here they are, take them. But for whatever reason, the father gives the son what he asked for. And if you're familiar with the story, the Bible says the youngest son goes out and blows it. He wasted what took the father years to accumulate. The son blows in a matter of months. I want it now. Let's be honest, that hasn't changed a whole lot either. You see young people, the late teens or 20s, who feel like they deserve to live by the same standards their parents are living by. See, the parents work 30, 40, 50 years to get to where they're at. And you've got this young person that expects to jump into life and have everything mom and dad. It took them their life to to get to that point. But then we've taught them this. If you can't live that way, Charge it. Charge it. Why? Because I want it now. I want it right now. And the older generation is buying into it. My my papa Fuller, my mom's mom, he had a different mindset. He, He owned nice cars. He owned his own home. He never borrowed money ever from the bank to buy any of those. He had a concept that we're not familiar with, waiting. Waiting and saving for it. Anybody, would, anybody here say you are really good at waiting on things? Finally, everybody in here is honest for once in their life. <laughs> Aren't we very impatient people? I mean, even if we go to the fast food restaurant, it says fast food. And if my food's not out to me in three minutes, I'm losing my dang mind. I don't like to wait. Anybody else guilty of this? I I do this. So let me, you're in good company or bad company, whichever one. You go to Walmart. You're getting ready to pay. You start measuring up the lines. I can get out quicker over here. Anybody ever switch lines because you realize this wasn't? Yeah. 
Absolutely. Why? Because we don't like to wait. We are terrible at wait. I'll even go as far as to say this. Most of the debt and financial struggles that young couples find themselves in is because they didn't know how to wait for things. They want it now. The older son had a different ungrateful mindset. His was this. I deserve more. The younger brother wants it now. He gets it, goes out and blows it, finds himself out of money and, and out of friends, thinks to himself, well, even the servants at my dad's, dad's house have it better than this. I'm going to go back there, see if I can get a job as one of my dad's servants. He comes back home, the dad, who is a picture of our heavenly father, waiting, watching for him to return. He sees his son, doesn't wait for the son to get all the way to him. He runs out to his son, gives him a ring, gives him a rope, throws him a huge welcome party, steak for everybody, hires a DJ, gets blow-up houses, bounce houses. I mean, it's a huge party. The older brother, in the meantime, is having himself a pity party on the back porch. He's out on the back porch saying, what's, what's the deal? I've never gone against my dad. I've never left home. I've never told him that I wish he was dead. I deserve the party. I deserve the DJ. Come on. I deserve the stakes. Look at it, verse 28, 29. The older brother was angry and would not go in. His father came out and begged him, but he replied, all these years... I've slaved for you and never once refused to do a single thing you told me to do. Now, after raising four kids, I find that hard to believe. Oh, 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 y'all kids do all everything. Let's move on. Wrong crowd. In all that time, you never once gave me a young goat for a feast with my friends. In other words, Dad, I deserve more than him. I deserve more. And we still see this played out today. I deserve a better paying job. And if I can't get the job that pays what I want, I just won't work. Now, I didn't know whether to say this at the 9 a.m., and I'm still struggling whether to say this at the 11 a.m., and I can see Ben is kind of clenching over here. Here's the attitude. If I can't get the job that I want that pays what I want, I'd rather just let the government take care of me. Because I deserve more. Come on. I deserve benefits. I deserve a health care plan. I deserve this type of cell phone. I deserve more. I deserve this. And if I can't pay for it, I'll charge it. These are ungrateful mindsets. So how do we rid ourselves of these mindsets, even if it's unintentional? Because I believe a lot of times we don't know that we're acting entitled or ungrateful. So I think the first thing we got to do is pray that Psalms 139 prayer. It says, hey, God, God, search my heart. If there's some things in there that I've buried deep, show me so that I can repent of it. But the first thing we're going to ask God to do is this. Expose any material or financial ungratefulness in your life. We can be ungrateful even when we've got a lot. Come on. Think about it. Maybe it's your house. We don't have enough bedrooms. 
we've got another kid on the way, and they're going to have to share a bedroom and with, a, with their sibling. And it's hard to raise a godly kid if they have to share a bedroom and bathroom. Come on. We don't have the right countertops, the newest light fixtures. And listen, me and Denise are getting ready to do some remodeling. So I'm just saying when this steals your focus of what God is giving you, has given you right now. Well, I'm, I need a new smart TV. My TV's not good enough. It's not big enough. I can't really watch the Christmas Hallmark channels on a 60-inch. I need an 80-inch. Somebody said, come on. Come on. We all know it's not for the Hallmark. Come on, let's know. Where are you dissatisfied, though? Anybody ever done this? You've walked into a closet and said, I ain't got a thing to wear. When the, to get something else on that hanger, you've had to physically push everything down to get another hanger up there. I don't have anything to wear. Yet I've been to Mexico and other places on mission trips where I've seen people that actually didn't have anything to wear other than what they had home. And they were grateful for what they did have. When we do Christmas give back here at the church, we'll see these women come in and they get to buy something. A lot of for the first time they get, well, not buy, they, but they're doing shopping stuff that we've provided. But they get to pick out kids for their kids, gifts for their kids. And you'll watch them just break down and cry because they're so grateful that they're even able to give something. And then not only are they crying, those that, the ladies that are volunteering, they're crying. I'm talking about actual people that don't have anything. I mean, go through the list in your head. What is it that you and I tend to be dissatisfied with? Or ungrateful with in what we do have? I, man, I wish I had more money. Wish I had a newer car. Wish I had a better job. Wish I had more different clothes. I mean, you call it what it is and ask God to reveal it to you. The next thing that you need to ask God to show you is this. Expose any relational ungratefulness. Man, isn't it so easy for us to be ungrateful in the relationships we have? I'm serious. We've got relationships that, honestly, for some of us, it's wonder we have any friends. Because how ungrateful we treat them and show them. But relationships, maybe for some of you young ones, maybe you think mom and dad are always up in my business. Mom and dad try and tell me what to do, not what, what not to do. Maybe you ought to be grateful, one, that you have a mom and dad that care enough to tell you no at times. Come on. The fact that they care enough that they put clothes on you they feed you. Maybe it's that spouse. Man, I wish my husband made more money. I wish my husband had a better job. I wish he was more the spiritual leader of our house. I wish he could fix things around the house. My wife gave up on that one years ago. She decided it was much cheaper for us to hire someone than to, for me to try to fix it and them to fix what I broke and then fix the other problem. What about a wife? Man, I wish she was more fun. I wish she'd cook more. 
I wish she had a better paying job. I wish she'd be a little more um, frisky in the bedroom. I don't know. You call what it is. Come on, man. I know, I know secretly every man in here said, amen, amen. Thank you, Jesus. Somebody, did somebody say no because you were just trying to get better points with your wife? That's all you were doing. I wish I had friends like them. wish I had a boyfriend like that or girlfriend like that. And, and we have become unreal, or relationally ungrateful for the people that God has put in our lives. And we need to say, God, expose that. Show it to me so that I can start being more grateful. There's I'm tell you. Some of you, you, you know what the best thing you could do today for some of you is say thank uh, Austin and Brianna or any volunteer that watched your kid for the past two hours and say, thank you. Man, I just want to say I appreciate you. I am grateful for you and what you've done. Some of you can thank the nursery worker when you pick up that baby. Thank you that I had an hour and a half to two hours where I could just sit and listen. Grateful. We can get ungrateful because we're used to it. The last, let's, let's move on with this. Because, man, I'm getting hungry. Third thing we're going to ask God to do is this. Show us, expose any circumstantial ungratefulness. Here's what I mean. Quit allowing your circumstance or your situation to determine whether you're grateful or not. I mean, we come on, think about this. Say, I don't like my hair. I don't like the color of my hair. Listen, just be thankful. Ain't that right, Harvey? Just be thankful you got hair. Come on. And I, I get it. There are things we want better, but we cannot allow those things to take our focus off of oh, and be grateful for the things we should be grateful for. Maybe you don't have the car you'd like to have. Maybe you could use some new clothes. Maybe you'd like a better job. Maybe you'd like for your health to be better. There's nothing wrong with wanting those things. We cannot allow those things to take our focus and not be grateful for what we do have. In the book of Philippians, Paul was talking to the persecuted church at Philippi. A people that had every reason to look at their life because of what they were going through and think, man, this life is meaningless. And they could complain about what was going on. He's trying to get them to see the big picture and not focus on all these other things, what they have, what they don't have, their circumstance. And in chapter 3, verse 7, Paul's talking about, hey, his accomplishments in life, the degrees he had, the notoriety he had. And then he gets down to verse 7, and this is Paul's assessment of it all. Look at this, Philippians 3, 7. I once thought these things were valuable. Now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. Yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have discarded everything else, counting it all as what? Garbage. How many have heard me teach on this before? That word garbage, that Paul, the, the Greek word that Paul uses here is actually the Greek, it's skubalon. And I know this is going to be hard for some of y'all to really take in, 
But scholars will tell you that word he used there, when I survey everything else, all the things I've gained is scubalon, it was the equivalent of our S word. Paul is saying, when I look at all this, all it amounts to is a pile of stuff. That's Paul. Paul. That's how Paul felt about looking back at everything he had gained. Then in the last chapter of Philippians, Paul's closing remarks are this. I've learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. Paul says, I've learned to be content wherever I'm at. That word content is translated as, and literally means this, to be independent of external circumstances. I mean, I don't need things to be going my way to remain grateful. I don't need it to turn out the way I think it should for me to still have a mindset of I'm grateful. I'm grateful. I've learned to be grateful if I have plenty. I've learned to be grateful if I have lack. If I'm healthy, if I'm sick, if I got a lot of money, if I'm on food stamps, if I love my job, if I don't love my job, I've learned to be grateful. He goes on this, I've learned the secret of being content in in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or want. And here's the secret. I can do all things through him, through Christ, who gives me strength. See, when we're going through things we don't like, a lot of times, most of the time, God is trying to mature something in us. God is trying to grow something in us. And Paul says, I learned when I'm walking through things. Because Paul said, there was something. He said, I prayed three times. God, take this away from me. But Paul said, even in all that, I learned to be content. I learned to be content. If I can get Bubba to come on up. Paul's closing statement to the church of Thessalonica. He kind of reiterates what he told the church there at Philippi, First Thessalonians. Thessalonians 5, 16, 18. Paul says, rejoice always. Pray continually. Give thanks. In what? All circumstances. For this is God's will for you. How do we do that, Kelly? Remember God's faithfulness and declare your thankfulness. You'll pull that up for me. Remember God's faithfulness and declare your thankfulness. Maybe the next time you start to say, I'm sick of my job, I hate my job. Maybe you stop yourself, you know what, and say, you know what, I'm thankful I even have a job in this economy. Maybe when you go to say, I hate my car, maybe you think, you know what, I'm, I'm grateful just to have a car to be able to get around. Maybe when you say, this house is always a mess. Toys all over the place. Maybe next time you say, you know what? Thank you, God, that our kids in this house. There's life in this house. I was joking at the 9 a.m. because usually before the 9 a.m. I'm in my office. It's quiet in there. I've got this, uh, what it's called, soaking music. No words, just music. I'm in there getting my mind together. Well, this morning I had all my kids in there. 
and they, along with Denise, and they were all talking, going back and forth. And I said, hey, my, usually this time of the morning, this office is really quiet. And I was joking with them. But the thing is, I'm grateful that this morning at 8.30, my office was chaos. that only knew my brother Casey from his addiction and what he put our family through. They got to see a young man set free. Let's look at one more story. If I can get Tyler to come on out. Because we're going to close out. Luke 17, 11 through 18. It's talking about Jesus. On his way to Jerusalem, Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. As he was going into the village, ten men who had leprosy met him. They stood at a distance and called out in a loud voice, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. When Jesus saw them, he said, Go, show yourselves to the priest." And as they went, they were cleansed. Look at this. One of them, when he saw he was healed, came back, praising God in a loud voice. He threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him. He was a Samaritan. Jesus asked, we're not all ten cleansed. Where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give praise to God except this foreigner? One of the things that I've kind of wrestled with every time I go through this is, why did Jesus point out that this was a foreigner? Why did he say, hey, why, why, why did only a foreigner? But when you, look, when you look at the Greek word, the Greek word that he used here is actually sprung from another tribe or another race, a Samaritan, which is what the verse before that said. And I think there was a reason here. Do you know who some of the most grateful people living in America are right now? Those that came here from another country to try to make a life better for themselves. Not thinking, I deserve it, but I will work for it and do what I need to do. You know who the most ungrateful people in America are? the natives of this land. Us. Us. Born, bred, raised here because we think we deserve it. It's owed to us. I think what so when he says it's the only one this foreigner, the Samaritan, I think it's implying the other nine were Jewish. I think they had this mindset we're God's chosen of course God would heal us we're the called ones we're the chosen ones of course God would do that and I think a lot of times church we have that mindset I mean we sing songs about it I'm God's favorite come on anybody remember some of y'all may not know those thank you you're welcome you don't 
I'm God's favor. And when I, I see the, the message behind it, I think sometimes it breathes this entitlement in us. For we don't approach God's throne with, with, with a, an attitude or mentality of gratitude and thankfulness. But this is owed to me. I deserve this. Give it to me. I know with my kids. My kids can approach me two ways when they were growing up. Dad, get this for me. Say, what? Or they say, you know what, Dad? Man, I'd be very grateful at this. If, if, and I'm going to have a different response. Are you with me? Now, I know I'm not. The Heavenly Father is way different from me. I think maybe if we came with an attitude and a mindset of gratitude instead of entitlement. See, I think the problem with a lot of us today, we're living with a Black Friday mentality. This Friday, people will go, they'll rush through the store. Why? Trying to fill a void. Trying. This is going to make them happy. This is going to make me happy. And they're just picking up. And they will fight you for it. Come on. And we're living with this Black Friday mentality where I've got to have this, I've got to have this. Maybe we switched it up and began living with a Good Friday mentality. That because of what one man did, I have enough. I have more than enough. I don't live with a mindset of scarcity. Maybe if we could get that mindset, we could say, you know what? God, I'm thankful for these material things. I am. I'm thankful for my house, for my car, for my clothes. I'm thankful. But more than that, I am thankful that you loved me when I was still a sinner. I'm thankful that you showed me grace when I didn't deserve it. I'm thankful that you were faithful when I was unfaithful. Thank you, God. Stand up across this room. says the foreigner threw himself at Jesus' feet. Thank you, Jesus. I was dead, now I'm alive. I didn't deserve this. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to close out in worship. We're going to take a time to repent. And this is where you have a conversation with God. And I want you to pray that Psalm 139. Search my heart, God. Show me anything in there that is offensive to you. If, I, if I've gotten this entitlement in me and don't even recognize it, if I'm ungrateful relationally uh, through circumstances or, or in other ways, show me. And when he shows you, repent of it. And then we're going to end today with some gratitude. So go ahead, close your eyes. Show us, Father. Show us, God. Are there areas where I've been ungrateful? Maybe I didn't even realize it. Show me. Search my heart, God. If I develop this entitled mentality where I feel like it's owed to me, I deserve it. Show me. Show me. And I repent. 
You know the areas he's showed you, so you repent of those areas right now. Ask him to forgive you of that. 